Everyone, I invite you to take your Bible out and turn to 2 Samuel. I hope you brought your Bible. If you didn't bring your Bible, find one on your phone or find one in the seat in front of you. And if you do not have a Bible at your house, I would love to give you one. So come up, see me after the worship service. And um, I will be delighted to get you a Bible so you can read along at home. We're, we're going through the Bible in a year. Um, we are going through the books of First and Second Samuel that talk about God giving the first kings to the nation of Israel. King Saul, first of all, King David. After that, this is our third sermon on King Saul, King David. We're really focusing on David now. Um, we're going to do four sermons, actually, on David because he's one of the most important figures in the Old Testament. And I read uh, this week that there is more biographical content on David, the, the Old Testament figure David, than anyone else in the Old Testament. There's more writ- written about his life and what he did. And, um, so we're going to go through several of these David stories. Looked at one last week about David fighting Goliath. Um, when you read through the stories of David, his early, well, m- most of his years, uh, particularly his early years, are really caught up in fighting. He fought, fought against Goliath. He um, well, he didn't fight against Saul, but he struggled against King Saul. King Saul wanted to kill David, and so David was fleeing from King Saul. Uh, David fought in many battles following that. David was a fighter. And... Um, seen danger. And there's a question that is raised in our scripture today that would have been very relevant for David. Can we trust in God's promises? Especially after David has been just fighting and struggling. Can he trust in God's promises? And another thing that we see in today's scripture, we're going to look at 2 Samuel 7. Uh, The other thing, another thing that we see is that God reveals not just Um, some promises to David, but his primary promise that we see in Scripture. This story that we're going to read has been described as a a hinge story. The the rest of the Bible hinges on this, this story because God gives this primary, main promises, promise of his that he is moving history uh, then towards its fulfillment. So, let us read Second Samuel, starting in verse 1. After the king, David, was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan, Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a house of cedar, while the ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, while the Ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go and do it, for the Lord is with you. 
But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. And I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. And I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for name for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now the story gives two really important um, descriptions of, of who God is that relate to can David trust his promises and then it reveals this massively important primary promise of what God is going to do. So uh, let's, let's look at these uh, two things about God. One, look in verse 5. What was God's response to David's bright idea about building uh, a house, a permanent structure for the Ark of the Covenant. Look in verse 5. Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. To say that uh, you are having important people over for the weekend, maybe your future in-laws. I was thinking of important people that you might be hosting, and that's what came to mind. Your future in-laws, perhaps. You want to make a good impression. Um, and they say, well, you know, we'll, we'll get a hotel. We'll get a hotel. Oh, no, 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 no. Come, come and, and stay with us. We've got... We got plenty of room. And they arrive at the front door. They come in with a couple of two, two small suitcases with them. And, um, and you say, oh, well, let me show where you can put those. And you lead them through the living room and you lead them out towards the kitchen. And they might be getting a little confused. And you open up the back door and you say, look, there's a little tent in the backyard. There, you can put... Put your suitcases in that tent. It's, it's just for you. Cozy room for two out in the tent. I mean, you would never do that, right? Of course you wouldn't do that. 
I thought of that. And, and, and how, do, how do we treat very important people? We, we certainly don't put them in a tent in the backyard. And yet God is saying to David, I've never been in an actual house. And it wasn't a complaint. God was just stating the facts. I've, I've never been in an actual house. You have a nice house here, David. Quite nice. But see, that's not what I'm looking for. I've been through the desert with your ancestors for decades. I've been staying in a tent. And we finally get settled in the promised land. And I've been in a tent in the promised land for hundreds of years. I've never asked to, do, to, to be in anything other than a tent, David. See what's happening. This is the Lord Almighty telling David, hey, tent's fine. Why is a tent fine for the Lord Almighty? Because he just wants to be with his people. That's just a, an amazing, gracious description of God's love for us. So first point I think we see about the true king in this passage is this. The true king is rich and generous, merciful love. Not King David, although he might have been loving at times. The true King, God. Rich and generous and merciful love. God doesn't need to be coaxed to show his love. In the ancient world, building a temple for your God was a way of coaxing favor out of your God because the gods were seen as territorial. They they were confined to a place. Well, they weren't confined to a place. They, They lived in a place and they might move on to another place and by building your God or offering to build your God a, a temple or a building, it was a way of saying, stay with us, stay with us, help us, be with us. Bless us, please. Instead of running off and leaving you high and dry, and God says, David, David, I've never asked for a house from you. I don't need a house. I don't want a house. At least the kind of house that you're thinking of. And then God says another act of just gracious love. He says, tell you what, David, I will build you a house. I'll build you a house. God is generous in his love, and he's merciful in his love. Notice what he says in verse 11. I love this little statement that God makes, and I will also give you rest from all of your enemies, because I know that you've been fighting, David. You've been struggling, David had done years of fighting and fleeing. And God says, you know what? I'm going to give you rest from all of your enemies. So you have a true king that looks at what you are going through, the struggles of your life, and says, I'm going to give you rest from that. I'm going to give you rest. God is merciful. He's generous in his love, and he's merciful in his love. Now, how does David respond to all of this? Does he say, ah, if only it could be true? No. So let's keep reading. We're going to skip down to verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said this, Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me thus far? 
And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you also have spoken of the the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord, for the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servant. How great you are, sovereign Lord. There is no one like you and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. Now jumping down to 25. And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you you have promised so that your name will be great forever. And then people will say, the Lord Almighty is God over Israel. And the house of your servant David will be established in your sight. So did you hear how David addressed God over and over in his response? Sovereign Lord. Second point about God we see in this scripture, the true king is the sovereign Lord who is faithful to his promises. And this this ability for David to, to approach God as sovereign Lord makes him significantly different from the king who came before him, King Saul. See, Saul failed to relate to God in that way as sovereign Lord. David says, you're the leader, God, not me. God gave Saul a word through the prophet Samuel. We read about this two weeks ago, and Saul ignored it. Saul didn't see God as the sovereign Lord. God gave a, a, a word to David through the prophet Nathan in our scripture, and David humbly accepted that word from God. God told David, I have a plan. And David, it's a really good plan. You'll like this plan. But let me tell you something that is not in my plan. You will not be the one who builds me a house. And although that was deeply on David's heart, building God a house, he was able to submit to God the king. And what does that say? Well, it says this, coming under the authority of the true king means that you play your part in God's plan. The part that God gives to you. His part for you in his plan. And you could submit to that plan of God, if you remember that you are really submitting to God's gracious, merciful love. See how God's grace and mercy helps us to submit to his plan? Because we know that we are submitting to God and his grace and his mercy. And because David sees God as sovereign Lord, he knows God will be faithful to his promises. So, so look at what David says, verse 21. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and you've made it known to your servant. So God is going to be true to his word. There's nothing that will frustrate God in keeping his word. God will never be too tired, kept up too late. To be true to his word. God won't forget. Oh, I forgot. I promised that. God won't get burnt out with frustration and say, Oh, forget it. I just don't have the wherewithal to keep that promise. I know I promised that. I just can't do it today. 
verse 25. David says, And now, Lord God, keep forever the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house. Do as you promised, so that your name will be great forever. And I don't think this is David trying to convince God into keeping his promise or to urge him, oh, please keep your promise. I don't think that's it at all. This is David cheering God on. He's fully confident in God. It, I was thinking it's kind of like a, a, a Jordan Alvarez home run ball. You know, it leaves his bat. It's a no-brainer, but it's out of here. But you don't just sit there, oh, look at that. I mean, you're like, yeah, go ball, go. But you're not like trying to urge the ball over the fence. You're like, it's out of here. You're cheering that ball on. And that's what David's doing here. David's like, go, God, go. You do it. You fulfill your promise. Now, do you get the impression that David isn't, he doesn't fully understand what God is promising? I mean, he probably thinks, okay, God, this, yeah, you're promising a house to me, it's probably not a physical house. I mean, that kind of makes sense. God, it's probably not a physical house because I got a pretty nice house here made of cedar. God says the house he's going to give to me is going to last forever. That doesn't sound like a physical house. David, David probably gets that, sure. This house is somewhat related to this lineage that, that God is going to give to me. I, I kind of get it. Sounds really good, but I'm not sure I 100% get it. Maybe maybe 75%, 80% get it. I mean, I think that's David. He's like, God, this promise, I don't fully understand it. But wow, it sounds really good, and I can't wait to see what you have in store. And I think that's what faith is like a little bit, knowing that God is something great in store. And sometimes having to wait for it and hanging on to that with faith. And in this story, it doesn't take too much time before the Israelites realize we, ooh, we're having to wait for this. You see, King David does have a son, Solomon, and he is he's kind of a partial fulfillment to this, this prophecy that we that we read about here in this in this chapter. And King Solomon, he, he sins against God. In verses 12 and 13 that we read, they're, they're just really important in our understanding of this promise, this primary promise, this, this main promise for the Old Testament. Look at those verses again. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. And Solomon is... Somewhat a, a partial fulfillment. Well, somewhat a part. He is a partial fulfillment of this. And I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. We know that Solomon did construct a kind of a brick and mortar temple building for the Ark of the Covenant. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now look at verse 14. I will be his father. He will be my son. And when he does wrong, and this is where we see Solomon as a partial fulfillment of this promise. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. Now Solomon, David's son, did go wrong. He started worshiping false gods. And there was these devastating results that happened to Solomon's kingdom because of it. In fact, uh, the, the kingdom was divided into to two parts just a few decades after 
after God tells this to, to David. And within a few hundred years, these two parts of the kingdom, they were, they were, they were conquered by, they were taken over by these world empires, the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, Jerusalem, the headquarters where the temple was, Jerusalem was sacked. The temple that Solomon had built, it was, it was demolished. It was leveled. And so you have this promise that God gives, and it seems like a done deal. But then can you imagine being one of those Israelites that are hauled off into exile by the Assyrians or the Babylonians? What? What is happening? We have this promise, and now we're being dragged away. And it seems like God, he's kind of dropped the ball if you're one of those Israelites. And sometimes, sometimes, we can wonder that very thing. God, you just dropped the ball. Sometimes God's promises can seem like they've gone missing. You know, God promises his blessing. God promises healing. God promises provision. You know what Jesus says about your heavenly Father? He knows what you need even before you ask him. He will provide. And God promises he will continue that good work that he's already begun in you, in Christ Jesus. And, and God promises wisdom when we need it. And sometimes you're like, God, where's that wisdom? Where's that provision? Where's the, where's the healing? There are times when you have to wait. And there are times when you wonder, God, you really mean it? Did you really, did you really mean it? Did you really mean to carry through with this promise? Or am I just the unlucky one here? And the Israelites waited for the fulfillment of God building this house and a kingdom that would last forever and ever and ever. And one day, A Persian king named Cyrus told the Israelites, yeah, you can go back home. You can go back to Jerusalem. You can go back there. You can rebuild your temple. Here, I'll even help you rebuild your temple. Now, was that the house that God promised this brick and mortar temple that had been demolished? They went back and they rebuilt that temple. See, we all know that that wasn't the house that that God promised. For one thing, historically, we know that that temple was was demolished. It was destroyed. See, that brick-and-mortar stuff, we know that all goes away. And the kingdom of Israel, well, it didn't seem to, to get restored. That kingdom that God promised, and they waited for God, and they waited for God, and they waited for God, and they waited. Have you ever had to wait for something? Something, something promised. Have you ever? Of course you did. I know you've had to wait for something. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever waited for something, and you know it's coming? You just have to wait for it. And whenever it gets here, it's a thing that was promised or an experience or an opportunity that you knew was coming. You just had to wait for it. Whenever you received it, have you ever thought, oh, well, oh, well, that was okay. I mean, maybe not quite as good as I had hoped that it was going to be, but yeah. It was, you know, really in the end, it was, it was fine. It was, yeah, it was all right. I mean, have you ever waited and received something and it's like, ah, oh, okay, that yeah, was okay. Maybe a little let down, but I can go with that. Let me suggest, when God has us wait, like really wait, in the end, 
He does something more than we could ever imagine. And it turned out that God did really mean his promise to David. God didn't forget. And that prophecy that was partially fulfilled in Solomon that we read about in 2 Samuel 7 has a much deeper fulfillment. And it would be in a king, fulfilled in a king whose kingdom would never end. And approximately 900 years After he made that promise to David, a new king was born. And that king, Jesus, showed people the love of God and died on a cross so that people's sins would be forgiven. And he was resurrected, that king. He was resurrected once he died on the cross so that one day we will share in his resurrection. And he he brought in his kingdom. Now, what what is Jesus' kingdom? Well, Jesus' kingdom, Jesus, Jesus brings down the goodness of God. By the way, the goodness of God is kind of like the air that they breathe up in heaven. Jesus brings the goodness of God down here on earth. That is his kingdom. He brings it here, and his kingdom will never, ever end. And all the threats to his goodness, the devil, the effects of sin, evil, Jesus has already decisively defeated his death by his death and his resurrection. I mean, this is good stuff, right? This is God making us wait for a promise and saying, and guess what? It'll be greater than you could ever imagine because this is pretty good stuff. And with evil and sin defeated, Jesus then brings people from all over the place with all different backgrounds and experiences, and he gives them faith, and he puts them in the spiritual family, the church. And God says, in order to be with me, guess what? You won't have to go to some brick-and-mortar house because I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to come, and I'm going to live inside of you, the church, through my spirit. You will be my house. Isn't that what the Apostle Paul says? You will be my house. In Ephesians chapter 2, consequently, you are no, no longer foreigners and strangers. You once were that. You're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people and you're members of God's household and you're built on this foundation of the apostles and the prophets with, with a chief cornerstone, that is Jesus Christ. And in him, in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, in Jesus, you two are being built together to become a holy dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. This is the primary promise of God that he gives to David. I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a house. It's going to be a people. And I'm going to bring those people together into Jesus Christ. And I will live in that house through my spirit. And it's going to be a house of love and praise. And Jesus says, I'm going to build this house. I'm going to build this church. And it's going to go out and it's going to tell about my love. It's going to sing my praises. And guess what? The gates of Hades will not overcome it. It will be a house that lasts forever and ever. That leads us to our final main point. 
What is the primary promise? The true king is building the church to be a home for his spirit, capital C Church, which Hope Church is a part of. But he's building a people to be his home for his spirit. And it really is amazing. There's a wait. There's a long wait. But when God breaks in, he does something really amazing. And you might say, wait, 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 wait. God breaking in? It doesn't sound like God really broke in. It seems like God was moving history. Like things were never outside of God's control, and God finally said, well, I better get in there. Things are out of control. No, God was orchestrating this this story of history, this entire time, waiting for God's time, waiting for his time. You might say, God didn't break in. God was in control the entire time. And you'd be absolutely right. But when God moved, when it was God's time, he did something absolutely amazing. So, we need to think about our time, your time for right now. We are recipients of this promise of David, or God's promise to David. Um, A few questions. What are we to do? What are you to do? You know, it's interesting that David, the story starts off with David wanting to do something for the Lord. But it's not something that the Lord wants David to do for him. And in the end... The story finishes with David praying for what the Lord wants. I mean, that's kind of the one outline of this passage. David wants to do something for the Lord. God says, don't do that. Here's what I'm going to do. And then David starts praying for what God is going to do. What does God want us to do? I think we can take something from David's experience Well, God wants us to belong to this house that he is building. He wants us to belong to this spiritual people, this spiritual temple. He wants us to be a part, not a part, but a part of God's church. in which the Lord will dwell with the Spirit. So I thought, what does it mean to be a part? Well, it means sharing love with one another, right? That's one thing it means, at least. That, are you showing love to one another? Are you growing in your connection with his church? Romans chapter 12, verse 5 says that, In Christ, though many, we form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. That is what it means to be a part of the church. Are you growing in your connection in being a part of the body of Christ? That's one question to think about. How are you a part of the gospel ministry of Hope Church? sharing with others what Jesus means to you and what he has done in your life. Because this primary promise that God gives to David is 
It's the gospel, is it not? I'm going to bring a true king. And that king's going to bring his kingdom. And that kingdom will never end. So do you love the gospel? Do you love the good news of Jesus Christ? Telling, I'm going, to, I'm going to build my people into a spiritual house, and I'm going to dwell with you there. Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with you. So do you love this gospel that tells us, no matter what you experience, no matter what you endure, hardship, rejection, um, anxiety, sickness, failure, No matter what you endure, there is nothing that will separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Do you love that gospel? See, that is the message of God's church. The gospel is the message of God's church. And fundamentally telling that message is what we are about as a part of God's church. Telling people about the gospel. The gospel is the answer to all of the world's problems. Do you love the gospel? When we are a church that shares the gospel and invites people to receive that gospel, we will be that spiritual house that glorifies the name of the Lord that God is building. And we can cheer God on, can't we? You go, God. You fulfill that promise right here. You fulfill your promise. And we want to be a part of sharing that gospel. Let's pray. God, it is amazing when we think about history. And that approximately 2,900 years ago, you gave this promise to, to David of building your people. And here we are, we're being built. And we see your faithfulness in that. You are the God of history, you work through history. You orchestrate history to bring about your good purposes. And, Father, will you help us to play our part in your story, in your promise? We want to do what you would have us do. We don't want to make something up. We want to listen attentively to you and do our part and to love your gospel and to share your gospel. Lord, help us to do that. We pray that you would put your spirit in us, fill us with your spirit, so that we can go out and share with others and invite others to be a part of your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.